The schedule, the job, the kids. Take some time just for you. It's Sunday mornings with Dee Daniels on B101.5, powered by Mary Washington Healthcare, one of DC's best hospitals that isn't in DC. It's in Fredericksburg, Mary Washington Hospital. Here for you. And now, Dee Daniels. Good Sunday morning and welcome to the show, the show that is all about you and your life and your world. And I'm very excited to welcome my guests this week, Dr. Curry and Thought, Women's Health and Surgery Center in Stafford and in Fredericksburg. And Dr. Thought, welcome to the show. Great. Thank you for having me. It is, uh, it's great to have you here. We're going to be talking about several important things that I know a lot of women in our area are thinking about or maybe have done some research on. And I'd like to start off with uh, talking a little bit about the practice, first of all. Um, of course, they can find you. Your main office is in Stafford, but you have two locations. Yeah, we have a, our office primarily is uh, in Stafford, Virginia, right on campus there at Stafford Hospital. Uh, our second location is on Collin Boulevard, uh, right behind Mary Washington. Now, when uh, you're looking for an OBGYN, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. You know, there's uh, a lot of research that goes on. I'm sure a lot of people get on the website first and that sort of thing. And by the way, if you want to get on the website, it's OBGYNVirginia.com. Now, you know, likely you're, you're looking because you either need to go for a particular reason or regular visit, or maybe you need something done, maybe a procedure done. That's one of the things that we want to talk about today, uh, Dr. Thought, is minimally invasive procedures procedures that are available. There are a lot of procedures that maybe you didn't know, you know, could be done, you know, minimally invasive and maybe a, a lot less recovery time and that sort of thing. Let's run through a little bit of that. And maybe we can start off with talking about laparoscopy because that kind of is the base for a lot of that. Sure. Um, I mean, our practice, obviously, we're an OBGYN practice, so we do the full spectrum of obstetrics uh, and gynecology. But we do have a special focus and interest on minimally invasive surgery. We um, brought minimally invasive surgery to this level, to this community uh, back uh, almost nine years now. And uh, one of the aspects of minimally invasive surgery that's well known, and most people out there in the community, uh, when they do their research, they learn that this is the important stuff about what kind of surgery they want, that they realize that minimally invasive surgery is usually the best way to go about it. It's uh, just from the basics, it's quicker recovery, faster healing time. They get home same day or the next morning very quickly. Uh, and their overall recovery is usually a couple of weeks. Um, total healing time can vary patient to patient, but um, when you have a, give a patient option of recovery within a couple of weeks, it's usually a, a, a win-win for them. Uh, it gets them back to their life quicker, sooner, faster, easier, and they get back to normal activities. They're not down for any significant amount of time, um, which we always think is a, uh, us in the field. We've promoted laparoscopic surgery for many, many years. Um, gynecology was probably one of the first specialties to actually start laparoscopic surgery. Oh, wow. Back in the uh, probably in the 60s and 70s, we actually started it. Uh, then general surgery and all the other professions started picking up the pace. And then probably we had a resurgence in the 90s and in the 2000s where more and more surgeons were being trained in minimally invasive surgery. And when they got out to their communities, they were able to offer that uh, much more broadly for their patients. Um, of the procedures, probably the most commonly done minimally invasive procedure, short of like a laparoscopic tubal ligation, is a laparoscopic hysterectomy. Mm. Um, I always kind of tongue-in-cheek tell my patients, this is not your mother's hysterectomy. Uh, <laughs> you will um, not have a big incision. These right. are not things that, you know, yeah, your recovery is very quick. I think everyone has these memories of their mom or grandmother having surgery, and they were laid out for several weeks, even several months, and they had these huge incisions and things like that. Uh, and we're very proud of our record. I mean, we've maintained uh, 
near 100% minimally invasive uh, surgical record in our practice. We, uh, no mass is too big or, or too complicated for us to manage, and we typically take care of those patients um, uh, pretty well. And, and we have an issue. We, we really focus on getting the patient recovered and, and seeing their surgical case as not being too complicated, but we can usually manage it. And by the volume that we do, we do a fair amount of surgery, so we're able, we see a good, uh, we see a, a, a large um, kind of breadth of different types of complexities, which helps us as surgeons kind of give patients more options when we do that. Dr. Thought is my guest today from Women's Health and Surgery Center in Stafford and in Fredericksburg. And uh, you were talking about uh, not your mother's and grandmother's hysterectomy. That's so funny. I have everyone has that story where they do. They think about, you know, I remember my grandmother telling me about hers in just months. It was like, you know, oh my God, I was down for a long, so right. long, you know, and that I think has put us in a different um, in a different perspective as far as now when us as women you know we're thinking about going through things like this maybe you've thought well I've put it off and I've needed to do this and you've got you know some issues that you've had because you've put it off now maybe you're not uh, putting it off so much because I mean it really is drastically different yeah I mean I think that's what I think there's a fear factor that goes into play for a lot of women they kind of they have an issue or concern that they know that they need a surgery for um, their surgeons told them well you probably need a hysterectomy of some sort and they are counseled or maybe they need an open procedure or they say well we'll try it laparoscopically but we may end up opening either way and that kind of scares patients a mm-hmm. little bit and I think they really want to know that whoever they're seeing is going to be able to take care of them in their situation that their case isn't going to be considered too complicated for uh, for them to take care of um, and I think over the over the years as we've evolved and the and technology's evolved it's become easier and easier to do these type of procedures um, to that point and I think uh, it's much more uh, an option for patients today to be able to choose laparoscopic procedures now. What are, What is the testing like when you go in to, I know that every procedure that you might get would be different maybe for the testing going in, but I, I'm sure that you go through and, and realize, okay, you're a candidate for this or you might not be a candidate. Sure. I mean, the most common reason why a woman's going to undergo a hysterectomy of some sort is uncontrolled bleeding or cycles, uh, usually related to either hormonal dysregulation or due to uh, fibroids or something called adeno myosis or different conditions that can occur within the uterus that causes that they're not good candidates uh, medically to be managed any longer. And sometimes medically we can manage them for a while, but ultimately they might end up uh, needing more definitive treatment. So when we do the workup, the, probably the very first thing uh, besides the exam that they're going to, the physical exam they're going to have is going to be an ultrasound. Um, and if the ultrasound shows um, significant pathology or, or anatomical issues, we may end up with a CAT scan or MRI as a more detailed imaging modality to just make sure that we are assessing all the neighboring structures around uh, the uterus and the ovaries um, uh, so that we kind of give the patient the best option as well. One of the myths I think is out there, or at least misconceptions that patients have, is when they have a hysterectomy that they also mean that their ovaries are removed. Hmm. And I always try to stress that to patients is that an ovary removal is called an oophorectomy, and that's a completely different procedure than hysterectomy. And most patients, if they're especially if they're perimenopausal or premenopausal, or even if they're um, close to menopause, they should retain their ovaries if they don't have any other risk factors uh, for removing them. 
Uh, those risk factors would be a significant family history for ovarian cancer or a personal history of breast cancer, in which case we might recommend removing the ovaries in those patients. However, keeping your ovaries is probably the best option for most women because hormonally you need those hormones, your own hormones, um, to keep you healthy for the longer picture. And in balance, I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, it all cycles works together. Right. So, I mean, it, you know, if we can keep all those things intact, obviously you want to do that. Yeah, because uh, and I think a lot of folks out there, they kind of, equate hysterectomy to removing the ovaries right. as well, and it's really not a package deal. They are very much separate procedures. Obviously, uh, you know, when you go get something like this done, you want to get a lot of information and that sort of thing. You know, it reminded me when you were talking about uh, the difference in where someone might be and why the testing is good to show where they are and what, what they might need. A friend of mine had, uh, you know, some issues where she thought she was going into menopause and realized that she had, uh, you know, a, like a cyst that needed to be removed and that was actually causing the problem not going into menopause so it's important to even go and ask these questions and say look this is what's been going on as early as possible so you can get something like that removed and maybe not just start treating yourself for menopause when that's not even happening yeah there's a lot of assumptions women will make is that i'm just going through a normal change in life and we deal with this a lot when we talk about you know something like in the urogyne world or urogynecology with like stress urinary incontinence or urinary incontinence. A lot of women just assume it's a part of aging, mm-hmm. a part of life, and we try to tell them, no, we can actually uh, assess this and correct this as well. Uh, and so, yeah, having that kind of full global assessment is very important, I think, for any patient that comes to the office and making sure that we are looking at all their alternatives and all their options. And we don't just, well, patient doesn't come in and we just automatically say, well, you need a hysterectomy. We really do try to um, tap the brakes and give them the full spectrum of options that they might be amenable to. But if they truly have something where they've tried and failed several modalities of treatment, then ultimately they're going to come down to a decision of, should I go through with this? And that's where that surgical decision comes into play. Dr. Thott is my guest today from Women's Health and Surgery Center, Stafford and Fredericksburg, and their main office in Stafford. If you want to visit the website, it's obgynvirginia.com. Um, just real quick, as we've been talking a little bit about minimally invasive procedures and laparoscopy and that sort of thing, you, you know, you discuss some of the, the benefits. What about the aftercare? What is that like? I, I would imagine it's just kind of going back and, and getting a, a visit afterwards and maybe another yeah. Just depends uh, on what you're getting done. Yeah, it depends on what you're getting done. But typically, um, assuming most, 70% of my patients will go home the same day, 30% will go home the next morning. Uh, of those patients, we see them back in usually a week two to get another assessment, just kind of belly check, make sure they're doing well. In the meantime, we're, my office is checking in with them routinely to kind of make sure that kind of normal functions are all happening, they're moving about well, and that they don't have any other issues or concerns. Because obviously, any type of surgery, it's that first 72 to 96 hours after surgery that all the weirdness tends to happen. And right. we always want to be ahead of that as opposed to, or be proactive about that as opposed to reactive to that. Um, but I always tell folks is that the first week is always the toughest week. I mean, sometimes there's a misconception that, oh, I'm having it minimally invasive, I'm having laparoscopic, I'm going to be pain-free. And that's not the case. You're going to have some discomfort. You're having surgery at the end of the day, so you're going to have some discomfort. Of course, you're going to be comfortable, but you're not going to be 100% pain-free. But with, by the end of the second week, you're really about 90% of where you were preoperatively. You are really bouncing back very fast. You're active. You're getting back. If anything, I usually have to tell my patients not to go back to normal activity right? Um, because they tend to overdo it a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and every patient d- differs a little bit, but the vast majority fall into this kind of two-week realm where they kind of feel, eh, I had surgery for the first week or so. And then by the end of the second, they're doing pretty good. It's really interesting to see how far we've been able to come with things like this because, you know, you're talking a week out of work, maybe a little more than that 
uh, but that's it. Yeah, it really depends on the job, of course. If they have a very physically demanding right. job, we might ask them to you know hold off on going full back to their full activity at that point. But if they have a more of a desk job or work in a computer or something to that point where they can maybe telecommute, telework from home or just they don't need to do meetings per se uh, or more of a desk job, then they can really go back very quickly. Uh, a lot of the folks that come to us, especially they work up in D.C., they you know either work for the government or contractors and such, and they uh, they love the option of being able to just work telecom- telework for a while. Work at home, right. Work at home for a while, mm-hmm. and then they're, uh, they, they're still not feeling like they're out of the loop, and then they're back into it in a couple of weeks. So we, we want to talk a little bit more about a specific procedure coming up after the break, tubal reversal. Uh, maybe that's something that you've been uh, dealing with in your life. Maybe you're changing your mind about some things, making some different decisions, and we'll have more with Dr. Thought from Women's Health and Surgery Center in Stafford and Fredericksburg coming up after the break. The whole experience is surreal. Ellen Saunders, a high school teacher, was experiencing chronic fatigue, so she decided to see her doctor. I said, I got to make an appointment. So I went in for a complete physical and just described the symptoms, and they did lots of tests. One of the final ones was a colonoscopy. The colonoscopy revealed a cancerous tumor. When they say colon cancer, I was like, Wow, what can they do? How can they help me with it? It's a treatable cancer if it's gone early. I just would urge, if it's yourself or you know somebody 50 or older, or if you're having symptoms, go to the doctor. Ellen sought help from the team at Mary Washington Healthcare Regional Cancer Center. I think you can go get good medical care lots of places, but the combination of being able to empathize and show genuine concern for you and your family uh, it's priceless. Mary Washington Healthcare, here for you. Now back to Sunday mornings with D. Daniels on B101.5. Good Sunday morning and welcome back to the show. Dr. Kurian Thought from Women's Health and Surgery Center in Stafford and Fredericksburg, my guest today, and we're talking about minimally invasive procedures. And now I want to switch gears a little bit, even though this is one of the procedures, tubal reversal. Maybe this is something that uh, you've been thinking about or you know someone who's thinking about. And I thought we would just get some good information about this. This is becoming a little bit more of a a common practice. Yeah, I mean, the tube reversal, so laparoscopic tube reversal by itself basically means that we, uh, a woman's had a sterilization procedure either through a laparoscopic uh, clips being applied or the tubes were burned or to whatever extent they were done, or even an esher was placed, which are little coils that go into the fallopian tubes to occlude them. Um, And then at some point in their life, something changes Mm -hmm. um, in their life where they make a decision. It's like, you know, maybe I want to get pregnant again. And um, usually at that point, their options really just run into the more expensive options of uh, in vitro fertilization or IVF. Being able to get, offer a patient a laparoscopic tube reversal gives them an opportunity to um, be able to surgically re-anastomose or bring those tubes back together, um, giving them a better chance uh, of getting pregnant on their own without any type of assisted uh, reproductive uh, technology, whether IVF or anything else for them to happen. Um, the procedure is not uh, – tube reversal in itself has been done for several years. It was usually done as an open procedure. The surgeons used to have these kind of microscope glasses they used to come in because the fallopian tubes are very, very small, and the mm-hmm. lumen of fallopian tubes is probably no bigger than the tip of a pen. Um, so to actually bring those ends back together, we're using suture that's no bigger than uh, the diameter of your hair. 
and we're suturing that back laparoscopically. Um, there's a, probably about seven or eight centers in the country that are doing true laparoscopic tube reversals. I know most of the guys in the country that are doing them. So, right, I would uh, imagine. So it's a very That's small, a small group. It's a very small group of us that are doing A lot of folks offer it um, as well. Other centers that actually do it, they do offer it as an option with kind of the caveat that, well, you know, if we're not able to do it, then we're going to convert to an open procedure as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to, we're proud of our rate that we've always been able to offer it laparoscopically for patients. Um, with our success rates are equivalent to most folks in the country. We're running about 70% uh, success rates on a pregnancy. Um, so I think that's a great option for patients, especially if they're deciding between should I have IVF or should I not. Now, when you say the success rate and, and about 70, you know, somewhere in there, that that is based on are they able to get then pregnant afterwards? Right. That's based on a pregnancy uh, rate strictly, um, being able to get get them pregnant, which basically proves that the tubes do work and they're back together. Uh, I, I was go. looking at. I'm sorry. I was. Just, I was looking at some of the, uh, which I. I would imagine most. You know, women who are thinking about doing this do something similar. You get on Google and you're like, okay, what's this procedure going to be all about? And it really exactly like you explained it. I mean, the tubes are separated, and then you are just basically stitching them back together and putting them back right. together. I didn't realize they were that small. I mean, that really does put it into a bit. Yeah, a different so perspective. it's really small. And the sutures we're working with are the same kind of sutures that most ophthalmologists work with when they work around the eye. So they're very, very small diameter, 5060 micro sutures that we're using. And we need thin, very small hair-like sutures to bring in a better bring these tubes together because tubes are very delicate. So you don't want to create a lot of scarring around the tube. You do want the tubes just to come together very nicely so they heal well on their own. And of course, we test the tubes when we know they're back together with little dye tests to make sure that their tubes are open and working. Uh, and we get into a little more details with the patients when we talk to them about what they need to watch out for and, and, and be careful about afterwards. But uh, we usually tell them they can go ahead and try to get pregnant within a couple months and they should be all set. That was going to be my next question. I think that's obviously the big question when people come in okay, when can I start right. again? Yeah, usually I say about two cycles and they're ready to go. Wow. I mean, that's really not that long. It's not. I mean, especially for someone who's, you know, and, and for people to make this decision about having a tube reversal, it's not a small decision. They've mm-hmm. done a lot of research. Sure. Folks that come to me, I mean, we're, we're pretty, we're in a nice little position here in the East Coast that we get a lot of patients from out of state that come to us for this procedure. So they've done their research. They know a lot about uh, what they what to expect from this procedure and what they need to have done. So they've done their research. They're coming locked and loaded with a lot of information, a lot of questions, and we help kind of get through the weeds a little bit with them and give them what the realistic expectations would be. Let me back up just a little bit. Um, and when you are thinking about doing something like this, are there tests that have to be done beforehand to say, you know, yes, this is the route you should go? Yeah. So we we like to get their previous op notes is probably the first thing I like to know because uh, a lot of times, you know, yes, someone had a tubal ligation done on some form. And their surgeon several years ago probably sterilized them. Remember, they're there for a sterilization procedure. Mm -hmm. But within that surgery, sometimes they get bleeding or some other concern happens during surgery. And sometimes the surgeon may just remove the tube completely or remove part of the tube completely, which would make it impossible for us to bring that back together. So having that information uh, ahead of time helps me counsel the patients appropriately as to what would actually be we could actually do for them when something like that would occur let's say that did happen does that rule them out completely from then being able to get pregnant again uh for some patients if uh, if both sides were affected, then yes, that would rule them out from a tube reversal perspective. But all you need is one side to work. Oh, and okay. so we just can put one side together and we let patients know that if we can't do both, we'll at least do one. Um, but yeah, if they don't have any tubes at all, which is a common practice that happens now where they remove the tubes completely, 
Um, at that point, then two reversals out of the question, and they would have to be looking at uh, in vitro fertilization at that point. Dr. Thought is my guest today, Women's Health and Surgery Center in Stafford and Fredericksburg Main Office in Stafford. We're talking uh, this half of the show about tubal reversal. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago, about if you got the procedure and you got the clips. I also saw that in looking some of this up. Is that easier than to do uh, the procedure if you got that well, done or is it so, about the same? Yeah, so there's a couple ways you can sterilize a tube, right? So you either burn them, you cut them, you tie them off, or you put clips or rings on them. That's one aspect. My preference is obviously the clips and rings uh, make a little bit more sense because they don't destroy as much of the length of tube as a burning of the tube would do. It's called laparoscopic uh, fulguration. Um, you lose, you lose a little bit more. It's nice to have a decent amount of tubal length to work with when you're trying to bring these back together. Normal fallopian tube is about maybe eight centimeters long, seven centimeters long. So when we lost three or four centimeters of the tube through a fulguration procedure, it makes it a little bit more difficult to bring them back together. Clips and rings, my favorite. Um, the one that I was alluding to earlier was like the Esher procedure, which was very commonly done nowadays uh, or had been commonly done, is where the little micro coils are placed inside. We can still do a tube reversal on that by removing the coils. Mm-hmm. Um, the tube tube's actually intact, but the coils just need to be removed. So we can also do that for patients. Which also sounds like it might be a little easier than if you had them burned off or... It all depends. Uh, the coils actually create a fibrosis and scarring within the tubes that do uh, that may damage the tubes a little bit. Uh, so we have to kind of check them afterwards, make sure that they could actually work. Uh, but yeah, we can remove the coils as well. What about the recovery time afterwards when you do something like this? Yeah. So the, as I... <clears throat> mentioned earlier that the area that we're working on is very, very small. Mm-hmm. So really the recovery is very quick. Uh, folks, go, they go home the same day. There's not really a long-term recovery. Usually a couple of days later, they're actually feeling pretty good. Um, the incisions on the belly are very small, five millimeter incisions. Um, they, they heal up incredibly quick. Um, so they recovery in this case, as far as a lot of the procedures that we do, is even faster than most. I also saw something about maybe the risks involved tubal pregnancy. Yeah. was one of those. Can we talk and, a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so that's one of the conversations we really kind of deep dive into with patients. So if someone never had their tubes tied and they were just out there and they had a risk for an ectopic pregnancy, and a pregnancy, an ectopic pregnancy is a preg- any pregnancy that's outside of the uterus. Uh, that risk is about 1% roughly for the general population, a um, little higher depending on the, your circumstance. When you have a tube reversal done, that risk does bounce up quite a bit. It goes up to as high as 18 to 20%. So one of the things I always tell my patients is if you think you're pregnant, we got to know right away or you got to let your doctor know right away because um, you may have an ectopic pregnancy. And that can usually be treated medically as opposed to surgically a lot of times if we catch it early enough. So uh, what'll kind of the worst case scenario is like they have an ectopic pregnancy, they go into the hospital and someone that they doesn't know what type of procedure they had, just goes in and says, oh, you have this possible type of pregnancy, we're going to go take out that tube, Mm -hmm. which kind of sucks because they took out the one tube or the the tube that we just repaired. Right, right. When sometimes surgically or medically they can manage that as well. When, uh, are there other risks involved besides the... The tubal pregnancy? Uh, the tubal pregnancy being the more significant risk. Obviously, with any type of laparoscopic or any surgical procedure, bleeding, infection, trauma to localized tissue and area is always a concern. Again, with laparoscopic surgery, as far as from the tubes, we're really focusing mainly on the tubes, and, and that's a very small area that we don't really worry about much else at that point. 
You mentioned a little bit earlier, and I want to touch on this before we run out of time. Where where does IVF play in in any of this? And I'm sure that's something you counsel people with a lot. That's a big discussion. Yeah, actually, a big part of my discussion when someone comes to me for tube reversal is talking to them about IVF and said that this is a problem. This is a this is definitely an option for mm-hmm. you, and you should really consider it. Um, I think IVF is definitely an option at any level uh, for a patient if that uh, makes sense for them. Um, obviously, there's some cost uh, issues that go along with IVF that makes it prohibitive to the average person or to most people. Um, but I do think they still need to sit down with a repro- reproduction endo- a reproductive endocrinologist and actually have that conversation until they get a full spectrum of understanding of what their options are. I never like folks to think that, oh, IVF is expensive, so I don't want to do it, or that's not an option for me. Until they sit down with someone who specializes in that, I think it's important that they understand what their options are. That I mean, it's such a, a lot of people, you know, it's such a huge conversation to have about that. So it's like you really do need to sit down with someone instead of just doing that research on your own. Right. I think, I think it's OK to do some of the research online, but um, a lot of times that information can somewhat be uh, counterintuitive and sometimes confusing for patients. Right. Sit down with a specialist, someone who actually um, does these type of procedures, understands it and then. If, especially when they're talking to me, I'll tell them, definitely consider IVF as well, because I think that's very important. I know a lot of couples might you know, struggle with, with this for a long time before sitting down with someone. Um, so even if you haven't fully made a decision, I, I've known some couples who have said, you know, we're still kind of on the fence as to what we want to do. That's an option just to go. I mean, you can just go and sit down and speak you know, Absolutely. W- with your doctor. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, uh, our practice, obviously, very happy to talk to you guys, uh, to, to any patient about um, whether it's IVF or infertility or whatever their concerns are and give them those options. But even the, the step further of really speaking to an IVF specialist is even very, even more helpful because they really do get a full understanding of what their options are. Dr. Curry and Thought, my guest today, Women's Health and Surgery Center in Stafford and Fredericksburg, their uh, main office in Stafford and OBGYNVirginia.com is the website and he will answer all of your questions. If you want to make an appointment, you can certainly go and uh, check out the locations there and the phone number, OBGYNVirginia.com. Dr. Thought, thank you so much. This has been great. Great. Thanks for having me. Your emails are always welcome. If you have questions or comments about today's show or an idea for a future program, email D, that's D-E-E, at B1015.com. Sunday Mornings with D is powered by Mary Washington Healthcare, one of D.C.'s best hospitals that isn't in D.C. It's in Fredericksburg, Mary Washington Hospital, here for you. The thoughts, comments, statements, and opinions of the host and guest are their own, and not necessarily those of Centennial Broadcasting, B101.5, or Station Management. Thanks for listening to Sunday Mornings with D. Daniels on B101.5. The whole experience is surreal. Ellen Saunders, a high school teacher, was experiencing chronic fatigue, so she decided to see her doctor. I said, i got to make an appointment, so I went in for a complete physical and just described the symptoms, and they did lots of tests. One of the final ones was a colonoscopy. The colonoscopy revealed a cancerous tumor. When they say colon cancer, I was like, wow, what can they do? How can they help me with it? It's a treatable cancer if it's gone early. I just would urge, if it's yourself or you know somebody 50 or older, or if you're having symptoms, go to the doctor. Ellen sought help from the team at Mary Washington Healthcare Regional Cancer Center. I think you can go get good medical care lots of places, but the combination of being able to empathize and show genuine concern for you and your family, uh, it's priceless. Mary Washington Healthcare, here for you.